You want to get back on the court. And that's your agent. I want to get you there. But we are in a lockout. There are no actual games to watch. You think these fools, these rich white dudes, gonna let these sexiest sport fall by the wayside? This team's my family. I need us to be one big family again. Football is fun, but it don't sell sneakers. To move merch and inspire rap lyrics, they need your services. Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show on Twitter at NomcastPod, or you can follow me at JokesOnDrew on Twitter and Instagram. This week, we take a look at the new Steven Soderbergh movie, High Flying Bird, starring Andre Holland as sports agent Ray Burke, who tries to navigate the game on top of a game during an NBA lockout. Holland is supported by a pretty deep roster of talent, including Deadpool 2 and Atlanta stars Zazay Beats, Sonia Sohn from Luke Cage and The Wire, Bill Duke, who previously worked with Soderbergh on The Limey, Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks and several other David Lynch films, and Zachary Quinto, who plays Spock in the new Star Trek films, or you may have seen him on NBC's sci-fi hit, Heroes. The movie is shot, edited, and directed by Soderbergh, his second film in a row that he shot using the iPhone. The movie is written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who is known for writing and producing Best Picture winner Moonlight, which of course started his relationship with our lead, Andre Holland. To break this one down, I brought in comedian, podcaster, and writer of a very impressive article on High Flying Bird, Sean Murray. Sean is the co-host of Fantasy Film Ball, a podcast that recasts Hollywood's finest movies in a fantasy draft style. He is also a very funny comic, currently out of New York City. You can find him on Instagram at LowbrowSean and Twitter at HighbrowSean. Be sure to check out Sean's article, and as always, enjoy the episode, everyone. Give a listen. Well, I think you said it in your article, too. Like Soderbergh is so efficient, and he wastes nothing ever. And it's very much this movie's instantly like you you could drop out of the sky and be like, oh, this is a Soderbergh movie. Yeah, that's the thing about like he's as efficient like in his movies, but like even the way he makes movies, like he's like he tries to make a movie every nine months. Yeah, I was reading this, I listened to his interview with him. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to do one every nine months. Like that's crazy. Yeah, I mean he there was something where it said he was in a when he made the Nick, mm-hmm. like he was in like a four year. Kind of like he called it. They called it a retirement in the article that I read about. Yeah, he him. did. He would. I guess he kind of had it with the studio system, so he kind of just bailed on movies for four years, and that's where the Nick came from. Yeah, in 2013, he retired, and he was just going to do. Um, he was going to do TV, and then uh, and he did like he did the Nick, and he was working on other stuff, like he executive produced the Girlfriend Experience show. And yeah, some other. He's like he's this thing on. Well, he did Mosaic, Mosaic recently for HBO. Yeah. yeah, he had been working on that for a few years, too. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember what he said, what changed, but he was just like, you know what, I'll try it this way. Right. Like, like, like Logan Lucky, like, he tried to, he financed it himself. 
Yeah, he admits that that was like basically a mistake on his part. That the the basically mostly because he did it out of a response to the studio stuff that he saw. They were spending way too much money for his liking on marketing and other aspects that were blowing up his budgets that weren't going into the production. So he was like, oh, there's a more efficient, better way to do this. And he just went and did Logan Lucky that way. And he also did one other movie afterwards. Unsane. I don't know if he did the marketing for that too, but that might have been it. Yeah, uh, I know saying, he like, also... that was. He realized that doesn't work either because... He needs more money for marketing. Like he was like right, yeah. He was like, I was totally wrong. He's like, in yeah, all he the articles, like thirty million more dollars to market this the way it should be. Like, cause he's like, it was very specialized. Like he was trying to like just market it to people who he thought would watch it most, but right. also like he just needed to get more marketing. Like, right. Like even even like with niche marketing, he still needed it to be like more like so people would see like, yeah be more visible yeah. But I don't know. I I, I think that like Spielberg just. He's so fascinating to me, like, just, like, he's always at the forefront of trying something new. Like, so many people would, like, just, because he, like, established directors would scoff at the idea of even directing a movie on an iPhone. Or yeah. He's, like, and he now talked, he's all about it. Yeah, he, he talked about, like, you know, there was a couple of, you know, an interview with him, he talked about, like, some of the limitations of the iPhone was just, like, the sensor is not big enough, so, like, you know, like, some scenes in the movie, you'll see, like, if somebody passes in front of a window, like it doesn't yeah. adjust quick enough. So right. he, he, he also kind of liked some of that because like it just kind of landed a different yeah feel than you would get if it was well lit and like the, yeah, it makes more sense for a movie like this yeah than say Unsane maybe yeah exactly. Um, he's like yeah, I don't know. I, I like the idea that like he's not too precious about like he's he's precious about the material. But he's not precious about like uh, trying like most people yeah. would, like be afraid because they want everything to be like the best possible thing. He's like. Yeah, I'll try it and see if it, you know we got they have a long he like he yeah. has he has like the bangers under his belt already. Oh, I mean yeah. even if then back then he was trying new stuff. I'm saying like right. I feel like he has this thing. It was like I I won best director against my own movie. And right, just, that's so crazy though. That, and it's the first time in like 60 years that happened when he did it, and it's unbelievably rare. And I don't yeah. I can't see it, especially in the the modern age of how this is going on and what it takes to get a movie even made now yeah. that I cannot see two spectacular movies like that coming out. And plus his, like you said, his work ethic is yeah, no, beyond like, even anybody like, else. People, like the, the directors I think who would be able to pull that off wouldn't put out two movies in the same year. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Tarantino yeah. or even like, like, you know, Barry Jenkins now. Right? Yeah. It's just like, they're so much more meticulous, and you know their movies benefit from it, like just for sure. But also, like most of those guys write their own movies, you know what I mean? Like, totally see, that's really what it is. Yeah, that's what he's able to do. Yeah. It's like he's kind of like be able to. He, you can do one every nine months when it's just like right. I'm just grabbing the scripts. Yeah, you know, I'm interested in it. You know, he makes his tweaks to it, but yeah, it's like off to the races. No, he, and especially he's a guy who also shoots his own movies, so he he has. Every opinion about everything. Like you were saying about the iPhone tech, because he's kind of ahead of the curve with that. He was ahead of the curve before that because he was using the red camera technology that was out, you know, it was out for like a few months and he was like, I'm in. And then instantly was making movies with it forever until he switched to the iPhone technology. So he's always ahead of the curve. Yeah, he was even like he was one of the first people to um to have a, he was I think he was the first person to have a movie release in theaters and on video on demand the same day like I forgot 
think it was called Bubble or something, like 2005. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, he's like, he's, he talks about how like the studios, I mean, the, the theory chain hated it. Like, yeah. Just, they were like totally against it because like, yeah. he didn't think that was a viable option. And he's like, yeah. at the time it didn't really work just because like, no, there wasn't, the internet platforms weren't there yet. Right. Somebody supported it. But he's like, He's like, he was he took about this movie, um, Logan Lucky specifically, and he was saying like it makes perfect like he like he said he always said I heard him say this in multiple interviews, he's like, I knew on the fr- like by like noon on Friday that, that movie wasn't gonna make a lot of money. Like it was right. like, it was done. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, he's like and if I have that information at noon on Friday, by Monday I should have this sold to Netflix. Like yeah. there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to just like he didn't say dump it, but it is you know right. and he doesn't mean dump it, but I'm be like, like there's no reason why I should be able to sell this off and make Profit back for me and the right. studio, and yeah. also like now it's gonna be able to get in front of the most eyes as possible. If people are not gonna go see it in the theaters, yeah. at least they'll people are gonna stumble upon it on a on a platform. Sure. So it's like he's like it doesn't it it doesn't having day and date um, release doesn't actually hurt the right movies. No. I mean, like, it might hurt like um like Avengers Infinity War. Or something. Right. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Like, some big budget um, <clears throat> studio thing would be hurt by like that kind of thing because they right. want to get maximum amount of people in the theaters but like who's just not gonna have a lot of people in the theaters anyways like yeah sell it to netflix well even still though that's i actually think it's possibly the opposite in a way because they get the the marvel movies like you brought up they sell so much overseas that that's something that the soderbergh markets the paul thomas anderson market like there is none yeah for overseas market for a lot of these movies so they have to be bankable in what, especially in the studio system, like if you're going to do a rollout, theater rollout, you know, you have to have some special premise now, some special cachet that does, you know, has to work. And that's why a lot of these people are going to Netflix because they're outbidding all the studios because they're like, we know we can just instantly put it on this. We don't have to worry about ratings. Well, I mean, obviously they want it to be successful, but they also just are more about drawing subscriptions or keeping people yeah, on they the just platform. Need, like- I hate to say content. They need content. Like, yeah, yeah, but like that's what like this they just they just need to make sure that they're fulfilling like yeah. filling that those spots. Because yeah. like, people are running through their material so fast they're like, we just need stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? So like it doesn't matter how niche it is, like they might not, you know, everything's not gonna be a hit, but it doesn't need to be a hit necessarily. It has to mean something to somebody to stay. Yeah. And that was the big thing about the Roma Best Picture stuff to me was that it's not going to go anywhere. It's a Netflix original. It's like HBO when they do their original shows or whatever. They're always on HBO Go. Mm-hmm. They'll never leave. Yeah. So if I if there's a Best Picture winner that I have a really strong opinion, or even a, a big tentpole movie like like Bird Box was, or what they tried to do with Bright or any of that stuff, if that stuff exists only on Netflix, that's going to keep me on Netflix yeah. if I'm into that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're trying more and more stuff to keep people on there. You have a Coen Brothers movie. You have now a Soderbergh movie. You're, you're, you have a Scorsese movie coming up. Yeah. I mean, they're really going for every demo to really try to keep people engaged on the platform. Yeah, and they're tapping in, into, the, like, where you, like what you were saying before, the, the, the exact spot that's missing in the market, which is kind of like that lower middle class of movie where it's like, you know, so many directors have been talking about like like the eighty million dollar movie or like yeah. between the twenty million dollar and eighty million dollar movie just yeah. doesn't exist doesn't anymore exist. in the studio system. It's like you, you gotta be like a, an indie movie that they just buy for the distribution rights for yeah. for like, you know, thirteen million or something. Or it's gotta be, you know, a temple and it's yeah. like so that's why everyone's going to Netflix and Netflix is gonna pay the money, you know what I mean? Yeah. And also well, they have the algorithm to know who's gonna enjoy it, how many people will enjoy it. 
they have the numbers available to know exactly what will and will not work on some level. Yeah, and and, and directors don't have to have the stress of like, I need to know that my number, like, you know, they don't have no. to worry about box offices. Like, and they're prepaid. Yeah. Their, yeah, like, yeah, their budget's your, already yeah, there. They got it. Up front, yeah. And then you also just like, I don't have to worry about box offices. I don't have to worry no. about like, I don't have to worry about marketing it. Like, I don't like, I mean, you can, they could do go do press. We don't have to do as much press. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It so seemed like Soderbergh did a decent amount of he press. He did, but, press, but, but you don't have to do as much as yeah. you have to do, like, you know, going to every um, uh, red carpet. Oh, yeah, no. Um, premieres, like, yeah. No. Uh, going back to something you said earlier about uh, Soderbergh not writing, he, I remember him mentioning something with uh, about around. Right. He made Six Lies and Videotape, and then he made, like, four movies after that that, like, nobody saw, like, Kafka and some other, like, movies that were just didn't hit. Yeah, like The Limey. I was watching that. Well, day. The Limey's actually at, at, like, towards, like, the out-of-sight right stuff. But, yeah, like, before Ocean's uh, Eleven. Yeah. But he made a bunch of movies that nobody gave a shit about that he, you know, were kind of failures after he was this bigger hit, you know, this Sundance darling guy. And then he figured out he's like i wrote sex lies and videotape but i don't have a lot in the tank when it comes to writing it was his own admission yeah that he was just like i'm gonna start doing better i'm gonna look for a better script i'm gonna churn out better stuff and that's when he really turned the corner because yeah. you know that was the out of sight the line aaron brockovich traffic Ocean's. uh ocean yeah he just that run dude that run is insane it's unbelievable. Yeah. And even... And it's span of time, too, because, like, a lot of people have that run where it's, like, like, you know, Tarantino or Paul Thomas had that sure. run where, like, they had those movies in a row, but it was, like, over, like... Oh, spaced Paul out. Paul has, like, six movies over, like, 20 years or right. something like that. Yeah, where, yeah. You know, whereas Tobruk has, like, legit, like, 25 movies in, like, 25 years. Yeah, Tarantino like just hit 10 if you count Kill Bill as two movies. Yeah. And Soderbergh's, like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I did that, like... Five years yeah, ago. That, yeah, in 2004. Yeah, exactly. So it's an interesting turn that he realized that. It's hard as a, as a director, especially to come up in, like, kind of the indie director scene. Like, yeah, where it's, where all the people he came up with, like Jarmish and Spike Lee and all those people, that they still mostly yeah. do that stuff. But even Spike Lee's kind of changed over the years where he's not writing everything. He might have, like, partners that he adapts with, like, but, you know. For the most part, he's involved. Soderbergh's like, I don't care. You know, yeah, he's, he's like, yeah. He, he he finds good scripts, and he also has like, you know, like he has his, like those Scotty Burns movies. He was, uh, which he's going back to. Yeah, he's uh, doing, uh, that movie about the Panama Papers yeah, that's coming up after this, the cool. laundromat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, he finds you know the writers he likes, and he's like, all right, let's do it. Like, right. I don't know. I, th- I think it's so great. Like, yeah. Because like he's just, I, I just, I love the idea of a guy just like knowing who you are. Like you said, like. Being able to like step outside of himself and say, like, yeah. okay, I, maybe I shouldn't be writing the scripts. Like, maybe yeah. I should just, I'm a great director. I'm going to just direct. Yeah. And also just being like, I just want to work. Like, he just wants yeah. to work. I'm, like He's an excellent tactician. He's got a great eye. He knows exactly what he can and cannot do with the camera, with the tech. This movie, you can tell he was overjoyed with what he can do with the iPhone. Yeah. I think it's actually reinvigorated him as a filmmaker, oh, sure. too, because he can do so much more he was saying how he can get angles that he never could how the shoots are so much shorter because yeah, the, the the time it takes to move camera angles is nothing yeah he was talking about like um 
there's that scene where um uh Andre Holland's walking down and like just walking through the city. Like, like, yeah, he's like, like you that. don't. He's like, don't he's like, yo, we just literally just. I said, he's like, yo, I, yeah, I, I just, I just grabbed like two people from the crew. Was like, let's yeah. go, and we just walked, like, walked down the street, yeah. for like six blocks, yeah, stopped. You know what I mean? Reset and just kept going. It's right. Like, whereas, like you said, you would need permits. You would need. 50 people on the set. You yeah. have the whole makeup team, the whole, like, the grips and everything. It's like, right. no, I just need... Yeah, it's a company move. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. You'd literally have to move the trucks, move the stuff, everything. If you don't have full-on camera packages, you don't need it. And yeah. Especially for exteriors. It would take nothing. Yeah. Maybe some bounce every now and then. It, it's not really that much. Crazy. I'd be interested to see what it looks like in person to see with the iPhone shoot looks like yeah because obviously there's a traditional camera package look and what people have to do and and what they have to wrangle and move and and get as far as like i mean dealing with extra everything's got to be easier yeah everything has to but i I would be very interested to see that in motion uh this movie though i what do you think of the the pairing because a guy who you know Moonlight was influenced by, he didn't write the screenplay, but he's more of a playwright that, you know, he writes this thing and obviously Moonlight becomes a big hit. He hooks up with Andre Holland. Obviously they have a past relationship in a way. Yeah. And uh, I actually didn't know going into it that this was more Andre Holland than a lot of people give credit for. Yeah. Like he's, he's an like, executive producer on he it. He partially but, developed the script. Like it was yeah. him and Terrell Alvin McCraney's like, it was, yeah. I guess what Terrell Alvin McCraney had the initial idea. Right. Like they developed it together. I mean, as a, as a group. But yeah. yeah, I didn't even know until after I saw the movie that, um, Audrey Holland had that much input into it. Yeah. I mean, uh, even, uh, the, the underlying current of this whole movie, which is the quote, the Bible in, in, in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Harry Edwards' book, he actually had that idea to put the book in there because he was so heavily influenced. Yeah. And he put Edwards in the movie as a cameo. He he had the fingerprints all over that. Yeah. So this was completely his idea from start to finish with that as kind of this underlying theme the entire time. McCraney said, uh, we wanted to make a film about questions and not answers and wanted to start a dialogue. Do you think they succeeded with that? Absolutely, yeah. Because even, like, I think even the structure of the movie, like, so many scenes, you're like, okay, where is he going? Like, what? Which is, like, you know, the standard practice of, like, you know, getting to the end of a movie. But right. like, like, even, like, not to, okay, spoiler, like, you know what I mean? When he gives him the, when, um, yeah. Eric Scott. Eric Scott, yeah. yeah. When he finally opens, uh, when um, Sam finally opens the package and she reads yeah. the book. You don't know what that book is unless you've read that book. Yeah. As an audience member, you don't know what that book is about. Right. You just you just know that she's like, you need to read this. So like now you feel like you need to read it. You're like, right. what does that mean? And then even like the meeting with Harry Edwards at the end is like It's yeah. not very obvious. Yeah. Because unless you know or caught the name on the book. Yeah. Like it's kind of like yeah, a they don't, low they don't, level. They don't, thing. Like, they don't make, make it a big, big deal. Yeah. yeah. So then you're like, okay, who's uh, who's Harry Edwards? What's yeah. his book about? So I was like, this isn't an athlete. Who is this? Why, yeah, like, why is he meeting and with him? Like, yeah. And then you kind of like trying to, then you, I watched it twice. And it's like the second time I'm like, okay, like, oh, like trying to understand everyone's motives. Yeah. Like having seen it now, like, oh, like this was being set up then. This was being yes. set up then. And it's like, and also just the larger subject of the movie about uh, player freedom and like uh, player agency, like yeah. not necessarily like. It's a very multi-layered concept movie. Yeah. 
Now, it obviously doesn't answer everything, but yeah. it does pose a lot of questions. Like, I know Soderbergh was on a podcast I was listening to, and he said it's very shocking to him that this hasn't happened already, that mm-hmm. the NBA hasn't kind of like gra- the players haven't grabbed the reins more mm-hmm. from there. And obviously, there's been rumblings for a little bit now that there's going to be a lockout in the next thing, the next CBA, uh, in yeah. the next CBA. And obviously, this is a very. This is a unique sports movie because very rarely do you see a sports movie that is in the modern era where it's kind of like so present and like the only thing I, and it's not even that great a movie. The only movie that I could think of that actually has themes that are kind of outside the sports world is Blue Chips yeah, where yeah. it kind of like addresses recruiting and addresses yeah, yeah. things like that that aren't about the game, but you show the, a little bit of the game. This movie, there's absolutely no basketball played whatsoever. I, I love that too. I love it too. It's like I mean, I, I would definitely love to see the game between uh, Eric Scott. Oh um, yeah, uh, was it Jamero? But yeah. I think like I don't know, just being so enamored with the politics of it is yeah. so interesting because you never get like you said, other than like the closest thing that like you said is blue chips. Yeah. Um. You you all the, there's I don't know if it was Soderbergh or McCraney who was saying this, but you're like movies, sports movies. Are always about this. It was sober. It's yeah. always about a game, but the big game. game. Like yeah, you, yeah. you got to get to this big There's game. There's got to be a payoff. And, yeah, and it's yeah. like he's like this. Not, the movie isn't about. The, it's like literally yeah. in the movie it's about the game on top about, of the game. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that's so shout out to Bill Duke. Yeah, yeah. so it's <laughs> an interesting like way to approach a sports movie. Yeah, because like it's it's only like it's only literally about sports. It's not a sport. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. no, there's real no real sports happening. No, it's like the movie is literally about sports not happening. Yeah, you know, like currently. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that they 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 actually pull that off on so many levels, and that I actually found the the nuggets that they put in there about how the NBA has evolved and how basketball has evolved. Because I never really put together that the Harlem Globetrotters are like those other things kind of existed outside of the NBA, like pre NBA, like yeah, kind of so- like like they that it kind of saved that. Because you always think like, all right, I'll speak for myself when I was watching basketball as a kid and learning about basketball i would read books about basketball mm-hmm. it literally jumps from like here's james naismith here's yeah, the, the koozie celtics and and like russell versus chamberlain yeah and and sprinkle a little oscar robertson and then boom it's magic and bird yeah, and then yeah. that was my childhood yeah, so it's like era yeah like, which is like a hundred years oh yeah completely yeah they just ignore over. the fact yeah. that you know the just like in baseball, actually, to an extent, where it's like baseball had reasonable success, but the Negro Leagues kind of went, you know, in a in a in a separate line. But you know, obviously, with a reasonable amount of success, and they were seeing these athletes that it's like, oh well, if we absorb this, we'll be infinitely better, and everybody will make money, and then it becomes this machine that gets out of control. Yeah. And that's the NBA. It was worse because basically. If, especially if you look at the modern NBA, it's all Europeans and and black athletes. Yeah. So you know, it's it's a game that if they stay to their own devices, who knows? You yeah. know, where could it have evolved all, over yeah, time? Yeah, one of the really interesting things is that uh, Bill Duke's character is talking about. Um, yeah. It's just about like we could have just stayed to ourselves. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I, I, I thought it was interesting that you brought up the, the Globetrotter thing too because I I never. I never knew the Globetrotters existed as a team that wasn't a novelty act. Yes, you know exactly. I, mean? like, I um I just knew them as like, you know, you go to 
You go to the garden yeah. or whatever. You just see them like yeah. doing. He's gonna eat my popcorn and throw yeah, some and confetti the, in the, the air. Yeah. by seventy points. <laughs> um, which I guess I've heard lately. They've been trying to like make those games competitive, so they're like they're oh, by yeah. ten now. Yeah. Or oh, hey. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So it's really interesting to think about, like, like, like you said, all the history of basketball you would hear about, like it's Peach Baskets, and then it's the ABA NBA yeah. yeah. merger. It's like exactly. that whole era in there. Like, right. And you know those leagues. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah, like he, Dr. J was just waiting for his moment, yeah. just sitting outside, like, come on, guys, let me in. Like, no, it doesn't. That's not how it works. But I do love how they captured the modern NBA. And the, the one thing that I I feel like there was two things in this movie that otherwise I thought the movie was incredible. There's two things that bother me a little bit. One being the NBA players, the interviews. I don't know how you felt about that, whether it took you out of the movie or whether you thought it added anything to the movie. I would have liked it in a different world where those interviews are on the DVD extras and I can watch it to kind of gain a (laughs) perspective of what I was watching. But I found it an interesting choice to put it within the movie. I didn't think it really... Obviously, I still think the movie is very good, but it did kind of take me out and I don't think it added enough. It didn't take me out, but the first time I watched it, I was like, this doesn't feel like it's really adding anything. But I think the movie, the the script makes a choice to focus almost entirely on Ray. Uh, yeah. Um, Agreed. If this was an Eric Scott story, I would say those like, interviews would like, be That's why I like the interviews because yeah. it's like, it, it's kind of like a, um, like, you know when you, like, you're reading a book and there's like a, just a quote yeah. At the start of a chapter, and it, it's kind of like right. You, it like, kind of gives you the, the, the set theme the tone. of that, yeah. that chapter. Yeah. Like it's not like a one to one match because like some of those are just like the way they're cutting. Don't necessarily right. like tell what's going to happen in the next uh, act. Sure. But I feel like that's what it was intended to do. Is kind of like yeah. like reset like the mood of what's coming. Next, right. You know what I mean. So yeah, I don't. I don't know if it. I don't. I don't, I don't think it applied works. a lot to no, Eric Scott's yeah. story. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think it's just putting you in the mind of like a young athlete. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, like you said, I don't think it necessarily applied directly to Eric Scott's story. Yeah. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't. It wasn't like my favorite part of the movie, but it did not work for me. It was like it was right. like, it's, just, it's kind of one of those things. Like it's in a movie. You know what right. I, mean? like, I, yeah. I acknowledge that it is a part yeah, of the movie. Yeah. 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 The other thing that I thought uh, kind of fell flat was their attempts at deepening Ray's story with his didn't cousin. It I didn't serve any purpose. I don't think like I. I've watched this movie now, I think, four times. <laughs> That's the beauty of Netflix. I can watch it, yeah. and I can immediately roll it back if I want to watch specific scenes or just... Yeah, this movie it. is short. I can just pop it on. I think... What did it come out a couple of weeks ago now, maybe? Yeah. And, and I think... Yeah. yeah, I think I've watched it, like, once every couple of days to be, like, kind of refresh myself, but it's also that quick and enjoyable yeah. that it doesn't bother me. But, yeah, this... It's... I, I couldn't find anything that really helped that backstory like uh, the only time it helped was when he was maybe making that speech mm-hmm. to you know I that was good. yeah but and, uh, and i just saying though because um i was reading a uh, review of it of the movie i think it's a new york Times review, and it, it said the same thing it's the only thing that really kind of like eh, like because it doesn't because you don't need to humanize him that doesn't exactly. advance the story and at all. also like the specifics of what happened I get what they're trying to go for because yeah. it, it is a really interesting thing. That, something that's really interesting to think about, like how would that have worked in a social media uh, driven era? Like yeah. uh, a, a player who's who has who's who's gay. Yeah, 
coming like coming to terms with whether they should make the decision to come out yeah. and how much more visible that would be in a social media era. Right. But because they don't, they would have to go even deeper into that story for it to actually flesh out. Yeah. It's kind of just like brought up. Like you said, just, yeah. just to kind of like deep and raise yeah, there's and, a, and it really doesn't. Yeah, there's a different version of this movie probably where it's two hours and it has and like have real moments of Ray having some self-reflection yeah. and a real kind of notice maybe with some added family. Yeah, the movie's anything. so lean it doesn't need... No. Because you can't go as far with it as you would need to no. to make it make to really matter. Yeah. So like you said, like... It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily. And there's no real direct comparison to what he's doing presently with Eric, uh, Eric Scott versus what he may have done with his cousin. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's not like it's not like he's like Eric Scott's not gay. Eric Scott's twice, not, right? You know exactly. I mean? it's, yeah. It's like yeah. It's like what the decision he's making with Eric is completely different. So it doesn't, yeah. it's not like it's not like he has to compare. Like oh, I fucked up last time by doing this. I have right. to do now. Do or should I do that again or should I do this instead? Yeah. It's like it's kind of like I'm doing something completely. I'm just being. Like, yeah. No, Ray Ray's a guy who you know is basically one step ahead of everybody. He's playing chess when everybody or when everybody else is playing checkers. It's yeah. That kind of a character. So unless he's gonna be introspective and deeper or anything, there's yeah, no need yeah, for him to like revisit the, the past. The the memory of that decision really affects his actions in this movie. Yeah. That's the that's the real issue with it because it's like like the only thing you could if you really wanted to stretch and make it work, you'd be like, well, that's what made him be the one step ahead kind yeah. of guy. But it doesn't really you don't really see the influence of how that directly translates to him being coming this guy because you don't you don't yeah. know what he was like before. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like he could have just been the same exact agent before, except he just made this one bad decision, right? And that you know ruined his cousin's life, right? But uh, you don't see that, so it's kind of like it's the one thing that you said. It does, it just doesn't work. No, but I, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a glaring like bad. It's thing. not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not thing. enough in the movie for me to again feel like it stopped the pace. Because that's the one thing about this movie: it is snappy, it is fizzy, it has Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, out of sight kind of speed to it yeah. yeah which is fascinating because it's also got maybe this is because aaron sorkin also has a background as a playwright as well but it felt like an aaron sorkin dialogue thing where everything moves the pace of it everything is just snappy you know and, and dialogue heavy movie you know it had that kind of feel and the interesting thing is that soderbergh was originally supposed to direct moneyball yeah, I know. Yeah. And and obviously that would have been an excellent pairing. And I think this movie, in a way, is kind of like his make good for maybe yeah. what he didn't get to do with yeah. Moneyball. And it's an interesting pairing now with someone who obviously has a playwright background and has that type of feel. I wonder if going forward you'll see almost like a, a Sorkin comparison with... with uh, oh, to Adam McCrane? Yes. Well, I found the interesting thing about uh, the pacing is that this movie is not something like... Like, say Ocean's Eleven. That movie, it's like every time there's like a quick thought of what they're going to do as a plan or set something up, it's always got that like pacing of a soundtrack in the background, that kind of like driving bass, that kind of yeah. something that keeps the pace of the, sh- the movie going. Yeah. This movie largely moves without a soundtrack. Like, it has maybe a song here yeah, and there and that and will pop up. Yeah, and, and the score Shout is very... Shout out to Richie Havens. Yeah. yeah, and the score is very sparse. Like, uh, yeah. like it's it's kind of like... Oh, that's, I remember what I was... It's got like four or five songs in the whole movie and, and really not much of a score to speak of. Yeah. I was, 
think about uh, what you were talking about uh, when you brought up like how it's kind of like a play quality. It, that's one of the things about Swimmer that's so good is I was saying in my the piece that I wrote about this is like how on paper or with in most directors' hands, this movie is completely uncinematic. Like it's yeah. mostly about people sitting in rooms talking. Yes, like ninety eight percent of it yeah. is that. But it's and it's a testament to the technology he uses. The the iPhone is what allows it to one of these that allows it to be visually interesting. Yeah. Like like some of the shots, the angles he's able to get, like so put, the sauna scene, especially for how weird that yeah scene is. Yeah, like the angles he gets with the iPhone. Yeah. Makes so you're not just looking straight ahead at two people talking. It's no. like like that that one scene um when um at the beginning when uh Ray's talking to Eric and he's got the, the camera on the ceiling and it's yeah. just looking down, it's like that just yeah. makes that way more interesting. Yeah. Like, just you can't even explain why. It's like ah, no. I like that. I like. I, I don't get to see somebody. You can you can hear uh, the glee in Soderbergh's voice yeah. every time he brings up the iPhone technology. He's like, I was duct taping iPhones to the ceiling. Yeah. Like you can hear how charged up he is that he could do anything. Yeah. with this technology, it actually gets me excited too. Yeah. I'm like, man, maybe I should get a new iPhone. Maybe <laughs> do some more stuff. But I, I found it amazing. Now, with that said, though, you didn't think the look of the film detracted in any way a couple, from the iPhone stuff? a couple moments where I was like, ah, I wish, like, like I said, it was, it was pretty much entirely um, the, um, like when someone passed it in front of a window or something, right. uh, just the, the bleeding of the light. But other than that, it's just like, I don't know, it, it didn't it didn't matter to me, like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, would, it, would I have um, objected to it be shot, shot on an IMAX film? <laughs> right, like, yeah. Of course not. Sure, but, yeah. Um, I think I'll take that trade off for exactly what the benefits that Soderbergh uh, was looking for. Yeah, I'll take you know a couple like muddy shots. And it's, yeah. it's gonna get better. Like you know, yeah. he's, he's so much like he was trying to work with Apple to make the sensor on the camera bigger. I know this is what you want. You want Soderbergh in your corner going, "Listen, I love what you're doing, but let me help you yeah, improve yeah. it." Because he did that with the red. Yeah, the red was you know kind of a prototype when he first started using it. Then he's like, "Listen." I got BMW here where I'm going to do a whole thing of BMW films and get all these directors. I need your red to improve to get everything done and then like move production on yeah. things. He is that guy. Once he has something in his brain, it is going to move. It is going to go. And it speaks to how he is as a filmmaker, you know, and how he produces that. The fact that if you look at how many movies he's directed and then put it side by side with how many projects he was producer, executive producer on and put them side by side. The man must not sleep. No, it's, it's, it's insane. And, um, I was also, I was listening to, um, the big picture podcast. Um, with, uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. And they Sean, were talking about Sean Fantasy. Sean Fantasy yeah. yeah. And they were talking about not only that, but Soderbergh every year, he has a list on his website of all the things he watched and read that year. Yeah. And, and that's extensive too. Like, it's yeah. like, so that, so he's, he's usually in post-production on one movie, pre-production <laughs> on the next movie right. and probably shooting one at the same time. And yeah. also watching like everything. Yeah. Reading, plays reading books like you yeah know, what who is this guy dude uh, he does his own like culture diaries i think yeah. for the year like where he breaks all the stuff he does outside of that and then he does yeah and then he yeah. has like a little the, the side projects like where that that thing he did a few years ago where he um he just edited he, he just took all the sound out um, oh, yeah. Ozark, you know, black and white and took the sound. Like, that's yeah. not too hard of a project. No, a, but still, like, who just, does that? He does it in his free time just to <laughs> right. see if the movie still works yeah. as a silent black yeah. and white movie. Like he, he even was telling stories, I think, when he was on Bill Simmons' podcast about like he was doing the edit 
for the limey while people were pitching him about Aaron Brockovich. Like, he is literally in pre-production while he's in post-production on what, uh, just, he never stops. Yeah. It's insane. I, I, I don't understand <laughs> his, his process. That's one of the funny things about, like, his retirement was that, like, he actually came out of the gate as hard as ever. Like, you know, he, he didn't even trickle back into it. Like, he, right. he, he like, quote-unquote retired, and then he was just like, okay, yeah, Logan Lucky, Unsane. Yeah. Uh, fucking uh, High Flying Bird. Yeah. The Laundromat. He's, yeah. He's just... And he also, he was working on Mosaic at the same time. Yeah. It's crazy. I can see him staying doing more Netflix movies. Because for all his complaints about the studio process and trying to find different ways to subvert their process to, to make it his way, I think he kind of really gets off on just, wait, I don't have to worry about that at all. And I get the full budget of what I want. I can see him doing more going I, forward. I, and in fact, I, I don't know how the laundromat's going. Being distributed? Being yeah. Distributed. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up on Netflix. I, yeah. yeah I, I could totally see him being like just on, like you said, just on Netflix. I, yeah. I, I, I think, I mean, basically what I've heard him say in interviews, I'm pretty sure that's what he intends to do. Because he, he doesn't really yeah. have any plans to make, you know, another big time studio movie. So if, right. if he's going to keep existing in this kind of mid-level you know, mid, uh, you know, medium budget film. Yeah. It's like, one of the things is about High Five Bird is like why, like I said, the couple scenes that don't work for me visually, right? Um, I kind of, you know, forgive it because like, this movie 100% does not get made if he tries to make it in the studio no. with regular cameras. And no. like, he's like, they just be like, who's this movie for? Like, yeah. you're not going to make any money on this. Yeah. And they probably try to pressure him to put specific people in it that don't fit yeah. this movie. And like, also, actually have basketball in it yeah like, yeah. yeah oh yeah this is 100% and it's having cameos by bigger players yeah. and and it, the one thing is that this movie like a lot of movies that aren't what he called a, a valentine to the league yeah that you don't get sanctioned by the league so the fact that they had three players in here giving interviews is tremendous i yeah. don't know how he bridged that gap to be like i'm making a movie about doing an end around on your entire organization Meanwhile, I'm going to take three of your players and talk to them about the process that maybe you probably don't want to be fully out there. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that's why he was only able to get, like, I mean, yeah. I, those are all good players. But it's, hey, Carl Anthony Towns is a big, and, and Don Mitchell, Mitchell yeah. ain't another, I mean, I, weirdly enough, I thought Reggie Jackson gave the best interview. interview stuff. Yeah. But, man, that guy is cold. <laughs> that guy, I I enjoyed listening to him, but he's like, you know, I'll, he doesn't fuck around. Yeah. So I enjoyed listening to him, but I, like you said, I I still could go without it, but I would have loved to see like a whole like a hour long thing on just you know like a documentary he made on the side that's like a high flying bird su- you know supplement to this or whatever. That's the one get. thing Netflix is missing though like I mean, that they kind have a, of dvd extra yeah, they thing have a, they have some stuff like that on a couple things but like when once that gets rolling like oh, yeah. that, like i don't know that's my favorite thing about, or watching it with a commentary yeah like yeah yeah they, they, and they have, how does that not happen yet <laughs> yeah it's, it's crazy <laughs> and especially with the guys that they now have in the fold you don't think the Coens or somebody would have wanted to do that by now? Yeah. Or they have a Ben Affleck movie with Oscar Isaac coming out and everything. Like, they have some bigger director stuff still coming out. Like, I think the the woman who did Mudbound is doing a follow-up mm-hmm, coming yeah. out this year, too. So, 
Yeah. No, they I, have all kinds of auteur. You don't think Quaron wouldn't want to do one for Roma, his own personal biopic? <laughs> I th- yeah, I think, um, I feel like the more, because, like, you know, over the last few years, I feel like 2018 was really the first year they were, like, straight up just producing the movies and not, like, yeah. buying them. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I feel like in the future, maybe we will start getting that. Like, maybe this year or next yeah. year, like, we'll start actually seeing, because, like, when the movies are being produced by Netflix directly, yeah, I think we're going to be able to, like, because then there won't be as much push and pull with, because I feel like the issue with that is, okay, if it's something that's, like, Netflix bought from a studio or whatever, right. or, like, you know, prior to them producing their own content, it was, like, they're licensing it from a studio. They're, like, we are still selling this on home video. Yeah. We're not going to let you have these extras, but if they're making their own stuff, it's, like, we controlled that. Well, that was a stance that most networks changed a few years ago. Not to go too inside because I work for a television station. But uh, basically, that was everybody where they're like, we're going to produce our own content because it's controllable. We can put it on multiple platforms. We have all the, the licensing deals. We know we get all the choice with marketing. Everything changed from people who were just acquiring and trying to get the best thing out there to now making, you know, you have TV networks that make their own, have their own studios. Yeah. You know, where that never happened up until five, six years ago, maybe. So Netflix kind of just probably just fell in with the curve of what everybody else was doing that are trying to make original content because there's still full on networks that don't do that. They don't care. They try to sign sweetheart deals or something, but they don't, you know, that was the whole purpose around reality TV's boom was people were just trying to control and make their own content, mm-hmm. trying to get non-stars to be in stuff and try to make the most out of something that was super low budget. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we don't have to do this on our own. It yeah. doesn't cost, I don't have to pay George Clooney because he's becoming right. a star now. And, yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because I I I love Soderbergh's work and I can clearly hear <laughs> that in your voice that you yeah, do too. Yeah. And, and a lot of revisionist content has been coming out since High Flying Bird, like, you know, these, you know, uh, long detailed histories or little nuggets about, like, older movies of his. And I didn't realize at the time of Out of Sight was just as much of a desperation heave for Clooney to be relevant as much as it was for Soderbergh. Uh, And and I found that to be fascinating because that was his first kind of ER transition and I didn't really have perspective at the time. Yeah, me Based either. on my I, age. Yeah, like, like, yeah right, right. Like, Fuck you, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but even still, like, for how, you know, I think that was, what, 98? 98, yeah. So, you know, yeah, I'm 16. It's like, yeah. I don't have the perspective yeah, of, no way you, would know. you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I barely remembered him on, like, Facts of Life and shit, <laughs> you know, like, mulleted, yeah. you know, Clooney before he was a stud all of a sudden. Um, but, you know. It's interesting to see how his how his arc has gone, and he's always been wanting the best for himself to almost uh, an incredible degree, and being meticulous and detailed, and and trying to really hone and own his own career. And I find that fascinating because this movie is exactly that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's people kind of trying like- to be involved in their own careers and trying to like. The fact that uh, they bring up that uh, that piece in the movie when they're talking to uh, the player rep uh, and they're oh, at so her yeah, office. Yes. Like, uh, like which, or something like that. which by the way, 
I'm not a big fan of hers, and it's possibly still because I didn't like her in Luke Cage, and it kind of bled over to this movie because her character's not that dissimilar. I like um, her because I like her in The Wire. Like, I like yeah, her in the see wire, that? So yeah. I think it's and where I, you I see her first. I watching Luke Cage, so like, I, yeah. I, I, I made like 75% of the way through the first season, and all that. I'm done. It's not good. Yeah, it's not. And they made the dumbest move in the history of mankind when you knock off Marshall Ali, who's, you know, only the, the best, biggest fucking yeah, star the best right actor now. on the show. Might win back-to-back -back Oscars in the and, supporting role. Yeah, and also, um, yeah. They're, or not back-to-back, -back, but you understand. Back-to-back yeah. -back movies, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. And also, like like you said, like, whose star is rising at the time. So, yeah, let's, let's yeah. kill them off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, no um, reason. But anyway, so <laughs> that scene, they bring up likeness issues, which has been something that has quietly been going on on the college scene. And I didn't realize it was a, as big a problem in the NBA. And that is ridiculous. And they bring up every little thing that would probably be something about that would come up in a CBA lockout in the next year or two, and they're already addressing them now, and I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah it was great, because I was, well, yeah, cause I guess the idea of this came during, like, right after the last lockout. Like, yeah. I mean, a couple years after, so it was like, they were able to, like, kind of take some issues that we've been talking about then, and then also look at the world now, and kind of kind of predict where it's going to go. And if anything, Carl Anthony Town, I think, was it him or Reggie Jackson who said that they were drafted Right after the lockout. Must have been Reggie Jackson. Maybe it was Jackson. Then. Yeah, because Carlton Town was like three years ago. So it had to yeah. be Reggie Jackson. I'm trying to remember when the last CBA was. But I remember one of the that three. Was the lockout. It definitely wasn't Donovan Mitchell, obviously. It was 10 or 11 because that was the year LeBron went to the Heat. It was lockout season. I see. And that's yeah. when uh, they played like 60 games. And then they yeah, lost yeah, the yeah. Mavericks um, yeah. Heat. Shout out to Dirk. But uh, yeah, so it was interesting to see like that was the only part of the interview that I was kind of. Perking, perking up about. Yeah. Where it was like, oh, maybe that'll have some kind of correlation to how his experience was coming post-lockout during a lockout to, like, really lock with what's going on with, with Eric, Eric Scott. Scott. Yeah. But that didn't really fully materialize. Yeah. So, now, one of the things that, obviously, I would think you will speak to a little better than I is the, the racism part of all this. And because they kind of pick the angle of that it's about self-worth mm -hmm. more than anything, but it is obviously like we were talking about the Globetrotters perspective and everything else and, and you know, the camps that they use and those type of things. What did you think about that tone of the, like where they went with that? And obviously the, the book being, uh, you know, basically a, a black empowerment book and, and how this should go. Like, how did you feel about that? The only thing that I liked about I was one of my piece about like the only reason the reason on one of the reasons I knew that Soderbergh didn't write this movie because how black it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is in a slight to Soderbergh or whatever, but it's just like. Are you saying he doesn't know about light skin light? <laughs> <laughs> because like it's um, I think ultimately it really is the NBA like specifically. You, you kind of brought this up earlier, is like, it's such a black league. Yeah. It's like, mostly black and European. I think you can't really talk about, like, ownership issues and whatnot without really t talking about, like, a, a, the racial issue. Yeah. Because it's like, it, you know, people make the the comparison of, like... Wait, is that a slave reference? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love the Lord knows black people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to do it at least yeah. once, man. I'm sorry. No, that was great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, like, that, that really is... That's why it's such a taboo topic to yeah. do character in a movie because it's like 
it 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 really is a weird thing where it's like yeah. this is our owner, like they like you know like it does really harken back to like yeah. slavery. So yeah, I think I think you I think if you don't have that in the movie, you really can't make this movie the way it's supposed to be made because right. that's really that's really something that you can't avoid talking about when yeah. when, when, when it's when I think what, like ninety eight percent of the owners uh, are, oh. are white. Yeah. Uh, aside from Michael Jordan. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I totally even forgot about that. But, yeah. Um, and even then, I don't, he's maybe a I majority he's, owner, yeah, but he's, he's, not a, yeah. he's part so, of a collaborative thing. So, like, I mean, oh, and Mad, uh, Magic is... I think he's the general manager. Yeah, the bus is, So the bus family is still owned. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah. but, yeah, so, yeah, it, when it's, like, you know, 30... or 29 white men yeah, yeah. Uh, running a league of, like, you know, there's 15 players per team. Like yeah. 450... Uh, and especially with some of them, obviously, in recent memory, having yeah, like the whole racial issues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, it is a really weird, tricky issue. And then, especially, like, knowing, like, ultimately, you can't really be... Because it's a business, you can't really be friendly with your owner. Like, you yeah. know, like ultimately, like... You know, that's that that scene where Kyle McLaughlin's character is talking about, like, oh, this is the team is my family, and it's yeah. like it could never be. You, you could never truly be. What well, an interesting thing. Speaking of Kyle McLaughlin, I, I the one thing that I felt was a great choice in in dialogue for this movie was the use of boy and man in conversations yeah. between Kyle McLaughlin and other characters yeah. because they use it very point like in a specific pointed way when they want to, they'll call them boys when they don't respect them. And then you see when they acquire more respect, it's like, these are men. Don't you mean to say men? Yeah. And Oh, they're men who knew what they were doing. So when he makes a point to say man, instead of boy, yeah, he's using it to his own advantage or as a, as a means to kind of show that, uh, he has more respect. Yeah. He's kind of like, sar- like, cause he, uh, there's a scene where he uses it on Ray. He's like, yeah. you have to call him man. And it's like, yeah, he's, yeah. Saying it kind he's of doing it to try to bring yeah. him down. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of saying like, Oh, they're men now. Like, yeah. yeah. So like they, they made the decisions that they made. Yeah. Like, so it's like, it's like, and, yeah, it's like, like you said, using the term boy. It's yeah. like, even if on a, they're deliberately just calling them boys. like, they're young men. Like, yo, yeah. yo, cause he called a bunch of, Dudes, boys, right? Yeah, it has that connotation where it's like, I don't know if I feel comfortable. I with, know, you know, Kyle McLaughlin called me a boy. Yeah, you know exactly. Saying? Yeah, it's a really, it was a really uh, interesting thing that they did there. Like, like I like the way, like you said, they they made it's it very sneaky, to, but it definitely yeah. adds to the theme of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't movie. like beat you over the head with it. It was like it no. was like like three scenes was like just kind of pointedly like we're gonna make sure to use the word like uh, and point out I'm, I'm saying man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, as soon as that, that heel turn happens after the sauna conversation and the three-on-three or whatever, the, the pickup tournaments yeah. happen and everything else, that's when everything changes and you can hear it in the dialogue. And I thought that was unique and very, very interesting yeah. use of that. What did you think about, so like, Ray's whole plan? It definitely shows that I, I thought it was unique. I thought it was good. Although, in the back of my mind, knowing about uh, Ice Cube's three-on-three league and how it kind of is a subtle laughing stock in some parts, a little mm-hmm. degree, that I thought that was kind of interesting. But obviously, if you're using modern players, that yeah, would the be thing, yeah, way like better. The reason, yeah, the reason but the, he's like... Three, the, yeah, three-on-three yeah. doesn't work because it's like, 
I want to. It's see like because you just brought. Yeah, I don't want to see Alonzo Mourning at fifty years old yeah. trying to play pickup with some dudes that didn't. And make then it I did theory like this is gonna be so cool, and yeah, I watched yeah. the game. And it was like it's uh, not as cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The interesting thing though is that Ice Cube's dialogue when he was promoting the three on three league was kind of a lot of the things they yeah, were saying in this, with, that yeah. we could set up these exclusive tentpole events that, you know, everyone wants to see and that we can, you know, pitch to different networks and all these things. And in fact, it's weirdly enough that what, maybe if this is like a year later, if he, if he pitched it later, then maybe Hulu or Netflix actually does pick up the three-on-three league as kind of like an intro to sports yeah. content. Maybe that still can happen, but uh, Ice Cube, if you're listening, you better. Be, I know. Be yeah, I think I just solved your problem, buddy. That's, <laughs> but yeah, I I thought that it was a brilliant move, and it really did a good job of showing the power structure of what it could be and where it should go. And I liked that conversation between Bill Duke and Ray's character Andre Holland. That when he's shooting hoops and kind of just talking about it, about why he did it and what his motives were. Yeah. And he's just like, I just wanted to hold it. Just for a second, yeah. Just for a second. And it's like, but it makes sense because the relationship is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's, you can see the power struggle. You can see where it should be. I don't know if they make that league, whether that would be successful on the that's same right. level as the NBA. But because the game is more appealing you know, obviously, if it's not pickup ball style and that there is an actual art of yeah. how an NBA structured team would be. Yeah. But it is an interesting thought. And obviously, it shows truly what the game is about. And I think that's a lot of what this movie is about, too, especially going back to Ray's speech about, you know, what do you call it? Mango season? What was it? Mango season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And all that talk about, you know, if that doesn't come, the love of the game, that kind of stuff. So they really layer this one really well for a tight 90 minute movie uh that it's you know it's about class it's about race it's about you know self-worth it's about what basketball truly should be and ironically i think this is also not just topical because of how, where the nba is going but i think because of what's going on with kaepernick and how uh, dr edwards was a big proponent of him too mm-hmm. that i think it has the fingerprints of that kind of struggle going on too and it's, it's about so respect in that yeah. it is. It's it covers basically everything that's kind of subtly going on or not so subtly going on right now, and, and it does it in a in a respectful way that isn't over the top nor too subtle that it's missed. Yeah, it's like it's super respectful. It hits all the right points, but it still has that kind of Soderbergh like funness yeah. to the movie. That's why it's a great pairing. Yeah. So, do you think Ray ever intended to actually have the lead? No, that's how, that's my read of it too. It's like yeah. because uh, like I, th- I think I think it was just like it was just a, a ploy. But yeah. I, that's why I think the ending is so perfect because it's like maybe later. You know what I mean? Right. Like, giving yeah. Eric Scott the book is like this couldn't happen now. But yeah. I had kind of to like, and that's why I love that last. Well, yeah. he didn't fully think it through. He knew that it would. He did. He flipped the ownership. He, he he knew he just had to put pressure on the owners. Yeah. But he also like that's why I like that last conversation with um, Bill Duke. Like when they're, it's off camera and they're like leaving the gym and he's yeah. like, he's like, uh, he's like, I don't know if Eric is like, yeah, I mean, he's, maybe he's not that yeah. kind of guy. And he's like, maybe he will be. Like, yeah, yeah. I, mean, like, I like the idea of like, he's like, I knew I couldn't do this now, but right. I know if I put, you know, this book in a young man's hands, yeah, it's gonna get you know those gears spinning. Yeah. And maybe someday. 
somebody could do it the right way. But right. I, I, I had to, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, he's like, I had to give him the tools to it's do true. that because he knew, like, that He's still making mistakes. You yeah. leave the movie with him making mistakes. Yeah, and his yeah, his whole plan ends with him having to break off his relationship with Eric. Right. So it's like, if I'm gonna do that, at least you have this now. You know yeah. What I mean? Which I've heard that as a criticism. I don't know if you feel that way. A lot of people don't know why exactly that he had to. Like it seems like Eric still kind of wanted him to be there, but it felt like Andre had different plans like that this was already set in motion and that the Zaze Beats character like it's kind of means something to pass the torch a little bit for her too and and I found it I I didn't have a problem with it at all but I've seen that as a criticism I think it worked because I feel like I don't think he was like I'm gonna make sure Eric's not my you know client anymore I think he's like if I do this I'm probably gonna lose him and he's also like I'm gonna make him stand on his decision I think like I feel like it was the whole his whole relationship with Eric is like, it's, it's similar to how like the Kyle McLaughlin kind of like, no, they're men. Like it's like, it's yeah, like, yeah. like you know what I mean? Like I'm, you're going to be out there on your own now, yeah. but I gave you the Bible. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's you out and you, know I mean, you're, you, you, you're in the deep end now, but it's yeah. like, I did what I could for you. And I'm, I'm hoping, and also I think he, by giving him the book, he's like, I think you'll see later why I did this. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think like, obviously he could have just been like, yeah, okay, I'll be your, your agent again. Okay? Right, yeah. That's when he's like, come on, man. Like, he's like... Well, to be honest, even Ray has bigger plans that he was kind of not... That doesn't show his cards until the end with the Zachary Same Quinto. Until, yeah. um, so I don't know exactly where that puts Ray after this because it's kind of looking like he's up a level. I don't know if that changes Plays out. anything. Yeah. I don't know exactly what Zachary Quinto's position is yeah like he's boss level but i don't know if that means he still represents or whether he does anything so i don't know what this does for ray it just seems like a good thing for the movie yeah it's like, like I, I don't think it's well explained i don't think they need to but i feel like because it, like, it kind of implies that he takes his job but you don't know right. that he like, like did he take his job yeah but it's like i think even if he like, just say he does he does it right i think I think what it does is say, I can take your job at any point. And even like, yeah. I feel like he's like, I'm bigger than like yeah. people look at me like, you know, you know, I'm good at what I'm doing as a mid level kind of agent. But like, I, I, I see it all. Even right, like, yeah. I, I'm working on a different level. I've been yeah. doing this for a while, and like, you know what I mean, just yeah. like you guys, you guys were sitting there. Like his whole thing was like, I'm, I'm active. You know, yeah. what I mean? like you guys were like just gonna wait this out. Like I, that's why I, I love that scene so much. It's like, yeah. oh, you. Seventy-two hours. Like, yeah, yeah. I did this. I did this. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like the the owners came to a decision on their own, or like you know, I think her name is Maya, um, the yes. player rep. Yeah. She. Like, I did this. So it's like remember yeah. that even if I don't have your job, remember that I can take your job. Yeah. Or like I can even if I even keep me in this job, I can make stuff happen that you could you never could. Right. Yeah. It's good. Oh, the movie's good. I know. It's so good. I, I, and that was the thing when I, I came in here earlier. It was like I had way more notes on this particular movie than i did and i've watched it it has great repeat value yeah uh than more than any movie i've done thus far and one of the movie i did last week is up for best picture so put that <laughs> put that out there but you know uh is soderbergh back on uh, do you think this signals a, a change for soderbergh because the one thing that soderbergh and i know logan lucky spits in the face of this a little bit i want him to just work with movie stars again but yeah. i know the budget's are weird like that, and I think Netflix so is the only place that he could possibly do it. 
And I think if this movie is successful enough, and it definitely is getting good critical reviews, mm -hmm. so I wonder if that's enough for them to go, yeah, let's fuck it, let's go for broke and, and try to broker a relationship. I really hope so, because, like, I don't know, like, he just, he's one of the best actor, actor directors yeah. in the business. Like, he just gets... He made J-Lo a great actress. I like, know. She's so good. To be like, fair, that is peak J-Lo, though. Oh, that I mean, is for sure. right before the wheels come off. Yeah, but like, almost Julie everything else she did, other than, like, I guess Selena, is just like, yeah. why is, Why did you cast yeah. that? It's like, like, he saw that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and he got it to work. Like, yeah. He made, he made Clooney a star. And I like, know. Like, I don't know. Well, to be honest, Out of Sight has one of the deepest rosters I've ever seen. And that's... That's him in a nutshell. I mean, Traffic has a million stars in it. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven is the epitome of an all-star team yeah. uh, assembled. He gets these lines. Like, I miss that. I mean, it was, you know, it's and it speaks to how great he is to get three Ocean's movies made in five years, maybe six Insane. top. Like, to keep those guys together yeah. who could do anything they want. To keep making Ocean's movies yeah. is incredible. Especially to me, I thought Ocean's 12 was a downturn, too. So to even to keep it going... You're so wrong, dude. That, uh, was, that was my opinion. Some people think it's for years, a better one. That was my opinion for years, and that movie is a masterpiece, dude. I think it's still so good. good. But, it's yeah. so good. I thought 13 was a good uptick, all those movies though. Are, all yeah. the movies are great, yeah. but I used to like, like oh, this is the one that doesn't really work. It's like, it yeah. works so... it's. We're going to talk about that. But okay. That movie's great. That might, be, that might have to be a rewatch. Because I, I haven't watched it much since I saw it in the So theaters. what didn't work for it, about it for you? I don't know. I thought it was... They they tried to capture recapture the magic, but it was just... It wasn't there to me. And I thought uh, they did that, that meta shit with Julia See, Roberts. What, that, used to, like, that used to not work for me. And that's one of my I think it might turn for me, too. Uh, but now. I didn't, I didn't buy so, into dude, it at the time. Dude. We watched that movie, and the scene with her and Bruce Willis is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. All like, right, I'll have to rewatch like, it. It's also like, yeah. reminds you that Bruce Willis is a good actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, he, like, he wants to be here. He's very fun. Yeah. Like, he's like, he's like playing, like, playing both sides of like, acting like he doesn't know. Oh, Everybody good. needs their, their director that yeah. gets them. And that's the thing about Soderbergh. He gets stars in how to place them all the time. Like, I know I was listening to a podcast where they keep... <laughs> saying about what they did with Gwyneth Paltrow and Contagion yeah. as being like it really understood where Gwyneth Paltrow was <laughs> yeah. at the time and what they could do to her. And and it kind of speaks to that. And he always... And even Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, you take Magic Mike and and uh, side effects out of his roster, who the fuck is Channing Tatum? Yeah. Like, maybe the 21 Jump Street movies? Yeah, does, he even, does he even get to that? You know what I mean? I don't know. Movie? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I haven't really liked... I didn't, and Logan Lucky, too. I forgot. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Take that away, too. Yeah, all his best work is with... Uh, Pretty much. It's I, all I, mean, I liked him in Hail Caesar, but uh, he wasn't, like, you know, it wasn't outstanding or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's okay. That movie was fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I love the Coens. I thought that was yeah, yeah, a was, lesser one. Yeah. I was so excited for that movie, and it was I like... Know. like yeah, the trailer so fucking sucked me. I was like... Yeah, oh, it yeah, was so good. It's everything. Yes, please. And it just didn't... It was fine. You yeah, know, it, it was like, okay. It just, yeah, it just it didn't live to the Coens level. That's like, the thing. They have a batting average that is unreal. Yeah. And Soderbergh, you know, obviously, he's one of the best living directors we have, too. And he's definitely... Uh, of people that can assemble... All starting. He is the Phil Jackson of directing. <laughs> yeah, he can take 
these all-star rosters that aren't the same people all the time either and can just deliver a movie yeah. and be as entertaining as hell and not have to be these huge flashy concepts. Like he's not where Spielberg went like post. Schindler's List. He, well, I was going to say, well, because it, it got exasperated post Schindler's List. Yeah, but, yeah, but even like that. just, yeah, like post E.T. Or even, you know, if you want to go later, Jurassic Park era, yeah. where now he can realize he can make an even bigger blockbuster than, like, what Jaws accidentally became the first yeah. big-time blockbuster, and then he went on from there. But, you know, even Spielberg is kind of, he goes back and forth between doing art house, but then doing these big blockbuster pieces. Soderbergh kind of rides in that in-between level. where He gets blockbuster talent yeah. on, like, but makes like a heist movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. You're pretty incredible too, Sean. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Um, you can find Sean. I know you guys are still doing fantasy film ball. Yep. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are one half of that. Uh, tell the people where they can listen to that. Uh, you can listen to fantasy film ball anywhere. Pretty much. Filmballpod.com. Okay. Is, uh, you can get it directly, but we're pretty much on everything. And we, you don't do it as much as anymore, but <laughs> it's a great concept. Still holding you on. guys need to keep keep it up, man. Uh, I had a lot of fun when we did it because we did uh, ID four over the summer. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, um, where I believe you just took the Black Panther cast, basically, or was it, which one did you take? Or I thought you took some kind of like it was an all black cast. Yeah, it was an all black cast. It, I, can't and I forgot whether it was the oh, most of the black somewhere. Black Panther. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that, and you're also a very funny stand-up. Where can people find where to see you? Uh, I'm most supposed to post myself on Instagram at LowbrowSean or Twitter at HighbrowSean. <laughs> I like uh, that. Awesome, man. And where can people find that article on High Flying Bird that was so good? Oh, you can find that on my Medium page. I'm Sean Murray uh, on Medium. Medium.com slash smurrayp25. All right. But yeah. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me.